Hey, Mike. Glad you could join me for some great seafood. Me too. Wait, why are you dressed in fishing gear? You said we were going out to catch great seafood, right? Yes, to Popeye's. Do you even know how to fish? No, I thought you did. Oh, yeah. I could catch pretty good seafood at Popeye's. Let's go. Let Popeye's do the fishing while you enjoy our delicious signature seafood. Get Popeye's flounder fish sandwich or shrimp tackle box before they're gone. Limited time at participating U.S. restaurants. Welcome to Women Winning Divorce. I am your host, Heather Quick. I am an attorney, entrepreneur, author, and founder of Florida Women's Law Group, the only divorce firm for women by women. I love thinking big, thinking outside the box, creating creative solutions for women, and empowering women to win in all aspects of their life. In each episode of this show, I will discuss how to navigate the divorce process, come out stronger and empowered on the other side. Welcome to Women Winning Divorce. Each week, we discuss issues including divorce, custody, alimony, narcissism, mediation, and any other family law issues that seem to be appropriate for our topic. And our goal is to provide insight on the journey of women winning divorce. I'm Heather Quick, owner and attorney at Florida Women's Law Group. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by Holly Moore, a family law attorney and owner of the Moore Family Law Group in California. She has over 15 years of experience in family law. Welcome to the show, Holly. Thank you, Heather. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it is uh, so exciting to have you. And we're just now on from coast to coast. So really brings us a lot of exposure for the show. So thank you for being here today. And why don't you start with telling us a little bit about your practice and why you chose family law? <laughs> Sure, of course. Um, well, I would say, you know, the, the phrase that you don't choose family law, family law chooses you definitely applies in my situation. Um, back when I was just a brand new little baby attorney, I started off doing construction defect. And what that really is, is super duper wealthy land owners, land developers suing super duper wealthy subcontractor companies. And as I learned very quickly, they just like to sue each other to annoy each other. And I thought, wow, this is a lot of a lot of work, a lot of student loans, a lot of, you know, anxiety, and it's really not helping anyone. Um, and so I <clears throat> had the opportunity to kind of try out family law under another more senior attorney. And I just loved it. It felt like I was doing something that was helping people and it just felt good to my soul. So um, that was probably, you know, 15 years ago and the rest is history. Well, I think that's great, Holly, because not only did you, you know, experience and like it, but here you are 15 years later still doing it. So it obviously still is something that's important to you. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, as you know, Heather, like it's, it's not easy. It definitely comes with its own, um, trials and, and difficulties because we're dealing with people that are suffering a lot and hurting a lot. And it's, you know, that, that can be really taxing to, to be doing that every day. But at the end of the day, it just feels good, like deep in my soul to be helping these people in this really hard time. So I'm still here. I'm still doing it. Not planning on going anywhere. (laughs) Well, good. I am so glad you're not. Now, as you know, of course, our, my law firm, Florida Women's Law Group, we represent women only, but we are um, usually in the minority or really in an island all on our own. 
as far as just representing, um, you know, only women. Tell us a little bit about your practice. Yeah, absolutely. So we don't we don't have a gender preference. Um, we do represent professionals and business owners, generally the breadwinner of the family. So um, statistically, we actually represent a few more men than women, but um, we certainly, you know, love our our power women that are the breadwinners of their family and own businesses and things like that. So. Well, that is wonderful. And it will be interesting as we talk about um, today's topic, which is hiring a divorce attorney, you know, and going through the consultation process. And that has so many issues and concerns for anybody about to embark on this decision. So it will be great to have this discussion with you from, of course, your perspective, your process, and, you know, things that you do to help your clients. Um, yeah, absolutely. Process. Yeah. Now, um, one thing that I, I'm certain, well, I'm not certain, but I'm pretty certain you agree with is because, you know, when we're talking to clients and the first and the most important thing is to go to a lawyer that really specializes in family law in divorce, right? You don't want to yes. go to your neighbor down the street who's like a real estate lawyer, right? No, no, absolutely not. You know, I I don't hear it so much anymore, but when I was just starting out, I heard attorneys say like family law is easy. So I'll just, you know, I'll take a family law case if it comes in the door. And what I can tell you 15 years later and having a specialist designation and all the things, you know, representing hundreds and thousands of family law clients is like, the more I know, the more I realize I don't know. (laughs) It's a really complex area of law. And I think any lawyer that tells you it's not, it's because they don't know enough about it. So absolutely having an attorney that does family law exclusively is like a must. I mean, there's no way around it. We've had so many cases where the client ends up spending triple the amount of money for us to try and unravel or or do things that an attorney did that they didn't know what they were doing. And, you know, that's that's bad enough. But even worse, I think, is like some bells cannot be unrung. I I literally just met with a client the other day who has a full divorce judgment. And in California, like when you divide property and assets and debts, like it's set in stone. There's no going back on that. Um, And so, you know, that's the real detriment is like the things that cannot be undone. So absolutely, like you have to have an attorney that that knows family law. Yes, Holly, because I was thinking that exact same thing. And that is a similarity in Florida and California. Same thing, like on on the assets and debts. Once that's done and divided, there's no changing that. And yeah. it is truly, I think, for for any lawyer, especially a lawyer who does family law and divorce, is when that client walks in our office and tells us all this stuff, but then hands you a judgment, and we have to say, I can't help you. Like, yes. I'm so sorry you went to somebody who didn't know what they were doing or thought that this would be okay because you, you can't, we can't undo this. Like you said. Yeah. And even if they don't get all the way to the finish line so often, I think what's happened is, you know, the clients have already lost the time uh, with somebody who didn't really know what they were doing and probably still a lot of expense because maybe they are fumbling around trying to learn it. And, and there could be serious detriment to them um, even before it's done that, you know, takes a while to really unravel for them. Oh, 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, that's the thing, even under the best circumstances, it's insanely expensive and it takes forever. So then when you add in, you know, having to try and kind of like start over or, or fix stuff, it just, it compounds all the frustration and issues. Yeah, I, um, I agree. You know, when I, many years ago, I started out in criminal law and then transitioned to family, tried to keep up with both, but you know, those are my experience in those two areas of law the most. The law is just ever changing and evolving so rapidly right. that it would take all of your time just keeping up with the changes in the law in those areas, let alone representing individuals and helping them move forward. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree. And now Florida, it, you know, we have what we call equitable distribution for the assets and liabilities. And I'm not sure, what do you use, how do you call it in California? You know, what method by which do you divide yeah. the assets and liabilities? California is a community property state. So um, it's it's like 50-50. I mean, I was going to say it has to be exact 50-50, which I think is, that's where it deviates a little bit from you guys, where it's just kind of like, yeah, whatever's kind of fair, maybe, you know, even though it may not be equal, um, community property is like, it has to be equal. And, you know, we are a separate property state. I do not begin to understand community property. But um, at the end of the day, our equitable distribution is 50-50 on what's marital. So okay. that's probably where, you know, we could really go. Wait, so what does it mean to be a separate? What does that mean? Separate property? Well, it, <laughs> it just means that just because you're married, not everything is marital. And you can have you can have separate non-marital assets that that don't turn into marital assets okay. just because you are married. So I mean you have to keep things separate. You have yeah. to, you know, keep those investments separate and not add to them if you truly want things designated as separate property. Okay. But um, you know, the, on a long-term marriage. It's usually all marital. Anyway, however, people are living a long time. So you could be married 20 years in your 70s and have had a couple of marriages and have truly accumulated separate property. Um, and you could buy a house, put it just in your name, then get married. And it's not a marital home. Like there's okay. gonna be some intricacies there to the extent right. that that makes sense. Yes, yes. I mean, all, you know, it's all, it's very nuanced. Um, I'm sure in all the states, but I, that's interesting. I actually thought Florida was an equitable distribution state. I didn't know it was considered a separate property. Well, we are, but I think it depends. Like we do do equitable distribution. Yeah. However, there's that second layer that maybe it only matters in the bar exam, like separate property versus community property. Okay. I don't know, <laughs> but I know that that is a difference in California. Yeah. So, again, why you have to talk to an attorney who specifically understands because it's going to get it, things could be getting treated differently yeah um, you know in california versus right florida for sure um now holly let's, let me ask you this because you said you really focus in on the business owners and professionals yes generally um the breadwinner the primary breadwinner now if this is someone a person is concerned about Tell us a little bit about why it's so helpful to have that, you know, specificity of your practice area. Well, so in California, 
my personal opinion is that the law is really skewed to what almost feels like a punishment. Like it feels like the law is skewed to punish the breadwinner of the family. Um, you know, there's really no, um, they don't receive any benefit from being the one that worked or being the higher earner or anything like that. In fact, it seems like they have a lot of disadvantages. They generally are given less time with their kids. They're generally, you know, they end up with these really, really large support orders. Um, I don't know exactly how other states do their support orders. The only thing I know is California has the highest ratio of support to income. So, um, so it's like they end up with these huge support orders that are paralyzing for them to even move on with their life because they can't pay their own bills, you know, for their household plus pay child support and spousal support. So um, that bothers me, you know, as somebody who I feel like I've worked really hard to get where I am and, you know, go to law school and pass the bar and build a build a law firm and so I, I feel them like on an energetic level of like, oh my gosh, you know, you've built your business or you've become a doctor and you've worked really hard to provide for your family. And now, you know, whether you wanted a divorce or not, I mean, in a lot of cases, they don't even want the divorce and, but they have to, you know, if the spouse wants it, then they're getting it. And they end up with like all these orders that just basically paralyze them in the future. So, um, you know, it's my mission to to mitigate any of that. I mean, I think, you know, everything should be fair. And I think sometimes you have to kind of balance, you know, level the, the playing field if you do have a spouse that hasn't been in the workforce forever. Um, but in a lot of cases, the spouse sometimes is highly educated, very capable. Um, they just don't want to work. And so, um, you know, I just think everybody should pull their own weight, however much weight you can pull, whether it's working at Starbucks or, you know, going back into being a heart surgeon, like you should do what you are capable of doing to help the family as a whole. So that's why I dedicate, you know, my work as a lawyer to, to that. Well, that is really interesting. I, um, you know, of course, have a bit of a different point of view. Um, yes, I know you do. <laughs> yeah, well, but that really means, okay, and this is just, now, this is not reflective of the law, you know, not yet, but it would probably you know, be unconstitutional, I'm sure. But the way I feel is like, you know, if you are the female breadwinner, then no, you should not have to pay support because I guarantee you're doing just as much work at home and not, and your spouse is probably, you know, just taking advantage versus if you are the wife supporting the husband by taking care of the home, then you absolutely should get as much alimony as possible. So it's a very skewed view. Yeah. But, so Heather, let me ask you this though. So yeah. do you think that like, you know, evidence should be put on in terms of like, okay, who's giving the kids, you know, who's giving the baby a bath and who's going over homework? And like, would you have, would you have it so that evidence would be solicited or elicited on those, on those points? Oh, absolutely. And that would totally, because that, that is what we have here in Florida, which I'm sure it's similar, you know, with their differences, but you have all the factors that support an alimony award. And that includes your, um, you know, if somebody wants, you know, what have you done at home? Yes. And what have you done to support your spouse in their career, in their business? Now, I will say that those are the factors. And our law clearly states that it is not, you know, not gender specific. And so there, you know, you, there is, um, you know, level of proof. 
that certainly needs to be other than, you know, he said, she said for sure. But um, what happens, what I see more often than not is that you may have, ours is also an ability to pay in need. Yes. So, we you know, to. you have to show the need, but very often, mostly when it's women, not always, but there she, if they have the ability to pay, the husband may not have the need because they may work. Maybe they just don't make as right. much and, or they're capable. I think that we're going to see a shift say 20 years from now, you know, because so many more relationships tend to be a, a bit more equal. Um, you know, I do still remember That's the movie, Mr. Mom. And, you know, <laughs> I sure hadn't seen any of that going down for sure, but I'm certain it's out there. So, um, you know, it, and that is always a hot topic. I'm sure we could do a whole show just on difference in opinion of alimony, but mine certainly does change based on, um, cause I represent women. So, you know, <laughs> are they, are they eligible for it or they might have to pay it? Um, but I'm just always on their side to limit their exposure or maximize what we can get yes. because it's really not crippling. I don't think the awards <laughs> you get in this case. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be more in California, but everything's higher in California, right? Everything yes. costs more, more yeah. taxes, lots of things are more. So maybe yeah. it is. True. So, okay. One last question though, on that point is, do you see any like gender discrimination in the Florida courts? Are they, are they skewed one way or the other? Ooh. You know what? I'm going to answer that after the break, just to leave a cliffhanger because that's a good one. And I'll probably have to consult the production team as to whether I can say what I really think. But anyway, um, we'll take a short break. And when we come back, we will talk about some gender and equity potentially in the course. Thank you for joining us again. And if you were fortunate enough to listen to the show before the break, Holly posed a very good question about whether I think that the Florida courts are skewed one way or another, you know, either for men, against women, or against men. Um, and I will tell you, I do, despite the language in the statute, I do think we are still overall rather uh, female friendly um, in some regards. Um, but I'll tell you, and this is really good that you asked this question because it depends on your lawyer. Like if you don't have a good lawyer, they're not going to put the evidence forth for the court system. Um, Very which true. Is, you know, what we're going to talk about in, you know, what to consider when hiring an attorney. But I am in the part of Florida and, you know, you have a much larger state, Holly, which I know it can, it's probably just worlds different from Southern California where you are to Northern California, you know. And even mm -hmm. though the statute for the state, the laws are the same, I'm sure the interpretations vary greatly. I am in the northern part of Florida, which is very close to Georgia. And so that is close to the deep south. So I would say that those are just some of the perceptions at the end of the day of the judges. And I think in the family law division, as we speak now, I mean, I think we've got maybe two women out of like 15 judges and no racial diversity whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and there you go. That's their life experience. You know, so you have um, a lot of older white men judges yep. who 
Um, maybe they've always been the breadwinner. Their wife has stayed home. Sometimes that can be favorable. Sometimes they've been there divorced, not favorable, but you know, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, maybe some have had kids, maybe some haven't. So they can't help but allow that to come into play. I think that would be more specific, like compared to say South Florida, Miami. I mean, that's like a metropolitan city compared to right. what well, it is. It's an international hub and there's just a lot more going on. So I would say it'd be more prone. And then there are a lot of small little towns in Florida that be like, wait, I thought we were in Florida. You know, it's not, you know, it doesn't look like <laughs> Miami or South Beach or Disney World. You know, it's yeah. very rural. And right. it's going to be different application of the same law based on the facts that are presented. So the better your lawyer, the better they can present that to support your side. Absolutely. Yeah. And believe it or not, even being in Southern California, I I have the same experience as you. Most of the judges are still, you know, older white male judges. And um, I think, you know, despite the fact that everybody will tell you, no, there's no gender bias. You know, we start at the point where it's like everybody's on the same, you know, level or same playing field. We start at the premise that, you know, they're going to share the kids equally. Um, I think men in our area still have a little bit of an uphill battle, particularly when it comes to custody of kids and things like that. And I think it's because the judge's sort of inherent bias of just their generation. So mm-hmm. yeah, similar experiences. I, I hope we'll see that change. I mean, it, you know, obviously I only hope it changes when that benefits my client, right? Uh, <laughs> yes. you know, well, you're a good I'm advocate, Heather. Yes, I am. I sure yes. I am. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, that's, you know, one of the things that, you know, this conversation hopefully can help, you know, women, obviously it's women winning divorce. So they're probably the majority of the people listening to this. Um, but you know, when they're going to hire an attorney and what to consider, I think some of that is, do they know the things that you and I were just talking about? Like what, how do the judges rule? What is it like out there based on my issues? You know, what do you know, as far as how that would happen? I think that's, um, you know, an important thing to ask as well as, you know, like what kind of team do you have? Um, Holly, tell us a little bit about like, you know, a client with wanting to come to your office. I mean, you want them to know, ask, right? Like, Hey, what's your team going to look like? Is it just going to be Holly and a cell phone or (laughs) you got a whole office? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So, um, we have a team of, um, I think we're, you know, somewhere around 20, 20 people on our team, um, a couple attorneys, paralegals, legal assistants. Um, we also have a team that's completely dedicated to basically like client service, so when a client calls us um, for a consultation, we do consultations complimentary, but they're going to meet with um, our client relations manager. And she's going to basically talk to them about their life. Like, where are you now? You know, what's what's keeping you up at night? What's making you unhappy? And where do you want to be? And then, um, you know, we see if they're a good fit for us, because, of course, just as much as they're sort of interviewing us, we're interviewing them to, to determine if this is going to be a good fit and we're going to be a good team together. So, um, yeah. And then, you know, we, um, like I said, there's a couple different attorneys. So clients would be assigned, um, to an attorney based on geographical location of their case. Cause we, we do service kind of a wide area, um, here in Southern California and even a little bit in Northern California. 
Um, and also the issues, you know, some I, I love the super duper complicated financial divorce cases, um, usually high net worth cases. One of my associates absolutely lives and dies for custody cases because, you know, she wants to to really like add a lot of value in cases where kids are the primary focus. Um, so, you know, depending on issues, area, personalities, like they'll be assigned their legal team. Um, and then, you know, we just guide them through all along the way and hopefully take some of the burden and worry and anxiety off of the client. Um, I think that, uh, you know, a wonderful approach. And I was teasing about that, like the cell phone and you, but we both know that that is out there. And, you know, there are a lot of lawyers who just, for whatever reason, they operate like that. You know, um, I think not even the Lincoln lawyer, which, you know, I'm, I, I, I watch every single legal show and movie <laughs> out there. People are like, you do this. Why do you do that? But, and I do like the Lincoln lawyer. Like, that's been a fun show. I have not I, seen that. I need to start watching that. Okay. Yeah. And uh, that you can watch with the kids. Like, not. Oh, really? Okay, TV. good. Yeah. So, um. The one with the movie, you know, he does have his investigators, but basically just his car is the office and riding yeah. around on the cell phone. And, you yeah. know, I know that in the past, there have been clients who think that's what they want right. because they just want to have immediate access to you. And, um, you know, it doesn't work that way in our firm because that's really not in their best interest to always have, you know, a, a lawyer billing you to talk to you, right? Right, and yes. So often the paralegal is just, way better suited for the day-to-day um, work and things that have to happen. But I think it's an important question to ask because I think that clients, they're like, well, no, I just, I want to call you and I want to know you are, will talk to me right now. That's going to be a smaller law firm or just a single person because they don't frankly have as much to do. So they can, I was going to say, that's a person that has no other clients. <laughs> <laughs> it may be because that's really hard to do. And and also a person, an attorney who, who has very little um, balance and boundaries because it's not appropriate to have late night calls and weekend calls most often with your family law attorney, you know, because courts are closed. Yeah. There's not anything we can do. And, um, you know, I know that we try to really help educate our clients, but at the end of the day, they have expectations because of the shows they've watched that I've watched that are on TV, you know, that, well, I'm just going to be texting with my attorney all the time. So. Right. Yeah. And I know so often, you know, clients will ask like, what are the attorney's billable hours? And we tell them and they're like, well, so-and-so, you know, they're billing at this and it's less, but it's like, they don't realize in, in so-and-so's firm that's billing for less. They're also doing every little thing. They're also standing at the copy machine, billing that same you know, 3.50 an hour. They're also calling the court clerk and being on hold for an hour and all of those things where the firms with a bigger team like yours, like mine, you know, we delegate all those things down. So it's like you're being billed for attorney time when it's true attorney work and everything else is going to be at a much less billable hour. And I, I just think that's so much more efficient for the clients. Plus, you know, I know like here, the attorneys are in court pretty much every day. So it's like if clients are calling, 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 um, you know, the paralegals are there to field their calls and our paralegals answer most of the questions because a lot of times it is, you know, something where it's, you know, when's my next court date or something like that. 
you don't need an attorney to answer that question or please help me fill out this financial disclosure, things like that. Um, and it's like, if you had to wait around for your attorney for those little questions um, and your attorney's always in court, that could get really frustrating. So. Agree. And I think it is because the paralegal does do all that. And in our office, all of the documentation, the discovery that gets into the financial. So all of those factual questions about, well, when is this scheduled and when is this yes. due? The attorney most likely is going to refer you to the paralegal. <laughs> right. I know. <laughs> yes. So they'll be like, working on that. And I think it, it does work better for just, you can talk to somebody because we both know family law brings with it its own level of stress and um, anxiety for any of our clients. Yes. And even though it may on its face look like a minor issue, when you have to wait two or three days for an answer to a minor issue, then it feels like it's so much bigger, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you just need to get it off your chest and have somebody listen to it. And yeah, again, if you have to wait around for your attorney to to get back from court or, you know, have some time to do that, um, it's just better to have another person that, you know, still knows your case and, and that, you know, be able to to handle those types of calls. Absolutely. Now, one of the things I think that is really important, we've talked a bit about it, but you know, you talked about essentially that initial meeting, you know, your staff is and your client relations team is interviewing the client as much as hopefully they're interviewing you because you've got to determine a level of comfort with one another and alignment with goals and, and trust, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I would even go further than that and say like, there has to be some sort of alignment, even on core values. You know, what, what is important to you? Um, I know when we've had clients in the past that were not a good fit, a lot of times it comes down. If you really, if you look back and you kind of think, yeah, what was most important to them? You know, what did they really care about? What, what were all their actions geared towards achieving? And then like, what is it for us? It's totally a misalignment of core values. And sometimes that's really hard to pinpoint at the beginning, totally. right? Yes. Um, but so important. And I think for anybody listening to this, you know, and, and you haven't met with an attorney yet, like you really need to, if you can really think about this, because many attorneys, you know, can get it done, right? The technical part. Yeah. Some obviously better than others, but it's that next level, I think, that is going to really affect your experience. Totally. And yes. and affect your trust, because I am certain this has happened to you, it always does, where, you you know, you have a client and they hire somebody else to begin with, uh, you know, mm -hmm. much to their dismay, of course, which is what I always thought, and that's unfortunate that you didn't <laughs> hire us first, right? Because now we got to clean up their mess, but... Yes. You know, and sometimes it's not a mess, but there somewhere along the way, it was either the misalignment with values, something happened to cause a mistrust. Because I know I've said this to, you know, many women over the years, right now that there is no trust there, right? So they could be advising you great advice that really is in your best interest, but now you're in a position that you don't believe it. Right. Which then that can harm you as well. And it, the foundation has got to be the trust and belief that your attorney, one, knows what they're talking about, but they're truly acting in your best interest. Absolutely. And that that's a really good point, Heather, because I think a lot of times the people are coming to us and I, and I will say 
I have experienced this more with women than men where they're already having trust issues because of what went on in the marriage. And, um, and this is kind of at the top of my mind because I just had, you know, an experience with a client where it was like, I'm like, you've got to trust me. I promise I've got your back. I'm, I'm working for you. But like, she had such a hard time trusting because she had just lived a life where she realized she couldn't trust anything. And, um, like ultimately, yeah, if you have an attorney that you don't trust, I mean, that's not, that's not going to work out (laughs) because they could be the best attorney in the world. But if you're going to second guess everything they, they tell you, or you're not going to follow their advice, then why, why be paying them? I mean, you know, you're paying them to, to be your guide. So yeah, trust is huge. Yeah. And it's, um, and it can easily, you know, and too often, I think that it, you know, things happen and because family law, I think it's constant with any probably practice of law, but, um, you know, it's constantly educating them. Like, yes, we do talk to the other attorney and, and, you know, we don't really just like yell at each other on the phone or do their things um, and not in court, like on a movie, because like, we've got to get you a resolution. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, it doesn't mean I'm friends with them. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not, but it's really, so I think for many, um, for many folks, I think going through the process, they really underestimate how, um, how seriously we do take our ethics and our license and like what we have to do as far as that level of confidentiality and that we have for them because frankly most people don't operate that right um yeah yeah that's so true the same client that i mentioned before she never wanted me to talk to opposing counsel because she was so terrified he was going to like bring me over to his side and then we'd conspire against her and it's like i am not risking my bar license like i'm sorry you know like your ex-husband yeah. isn't worth it to me. <laughs> um, exactly. But yeah, yeah, trust. It's it's huge. Absolutely. Well, um, Holly, we're going to take another break. And then as we finish up, we're going to dig a little bit more into, hey, those initial strategy sessions with attorneys and, and those consultations, kind of what some things that you should think about. And we'll we'll start there in a moment. Sounds great. We are back, Holly, for the last segment. And what we are going to talk about and maybe dig into a little bit is, you know, those initial strategy meetings with the attorney, whether that's, you know, in our office, that's really what we do first. We do um, kind of an interview process over the phone. And then when they come in, they get to meet with the attorney and client liaison. So that's the way we do it. Um, but that's a big step regardless, because I think for anybody knowing they are about to meet with an attorney in regards to a divorce, um, it's a big step. I know that, you know, most women have thought about it, the statistics say for at least four years prior to actually making the move. Um, and I think in a lot of cases, it's even longer than that, but, um, you know, I think it's helpful to help, you know, women and, you know, potential clients know what to expect and really how to make the best use of this time um, when they get to meet with their attorney. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of times they're, they're nervous. They don't know what to expect. They're, you know, they're like, I'm coming to meet you. Is my divorce going to be final today? (laughs) You know, like, I mean, maybe it's not that, that bad, but um, yeah, it's, it's foreign territory um, to them for sure. So in, in our office, like I mentioned, 
Um, they'll do a consultation. Anybody that's considering hiring our firm, they'll do a consultation with our client relations manager first. And that's really more of a big picture conversation. You know, what's upsetting you now? What do you not like about your life? What would you like it to look like? And, you know, can we get you there? Um, and then after that, if they decide they want to move forward with our firm, um, we set a, a two-hour meeting that we call a Q&A, a question and answer session. And we tell clients, this is going to be like a huge exchange of information. You're going to have a lot of questions for your legal team because the team the meeting is with their assigned attorney and assigned paralegal. You're going to have a lot of questions with your legal team uh, or for your legal team. They're going to give you a lot of answers. And likewise, your attorney is going to have a lot of questions for you. Hopefully, you'll have answers for them. It's just a really big exchange of information. Um, and then hopefully towards the end of that meeting, after like kind of all the facts have been brought out and everybody kind of has the lay of the land. Um, the attorney kind of gives a little, like a, a blueprint, a high level blueprint of what this case is, is going to look like going forward in terms of like, we may need to hire this or that expert. We may need to do this or that evaluation, things like that. So that the client has an idea of what to expect. Um, and then of course we make sure that every client leaves that meeting with knowing like what exactly are the next steps? What is the firm going to do? And and when, you know, we're going to prepare this piece of paper by February 1st. Um, and then also like the client is going to get to us tax returns by this day. So they know kind of like the immediate next step. The, um, now, do you ask them to bring um, a lot of financial documents at this initial it depends. Um, we don't like we don't have a blanket uh, requirement that every client bring in tax returns and stuff like that. It kind of depends. Some clients will want the docu certain documents reviewed prior to their Q and A. Um, if we know like this is going to be a heavy financial case or um, we're going to really need to dive into incomes or something, then uh, the team the the client relations manager will reach out ahead of time and say, hey, send, you know, some some financial documents over like two days before to make sure your um, attorney can review it before the meeting and things like that. But we don't have a blanket requirement for that because we feel that every case is a little bit different. Sometimes it's not a financial issue. So that's how we handle it. The um, Yeah, and I think it does. It depends. And not everybody's got everything at that time. Right. And it's really based on the, the questions you ask them. Uh, I know, you know, we don't need it the very first meeting because we're going to, then we're going to set an, an additional strategy session and, you know, we'll go into more at that point where we have create a case plan and your whole strategy. But I do think, um, you know, for anybody going into the consultation and that initial meeting with an attorney, they... They got to consider being, they need to be open and honest, right? Because we can only give advice based on what we hear. Mm -hmm. And I know that, and that's where that goes back to what we talked about earlier in the show, that trust that, you know, you need to be able to be honest and feel as though you can be in order for, you know, the attorney really to give you the best strategy and advice. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. In fact, I say the same thing at every Q&A meeting, because one of the things that we do during that meeting is we'll run support numbers on on software that's, you know, mandated by California or sanctioned by California to, to give them an idea of support. And I write it on a on a pre um, like 
pre-prepared sheet and there's like a big star and I also tell them, okay, now these numbers are based on what you just told me. <laughs> if right. in the future, somebody tells me much different numbers or if it comes, you know, if a different truth comes out that these numbers are much different, the result is going to be much different because, you know, there's been times where it's like, yes, I make $100,000 a year and that, you know, we run numbers on that and it's like, okay, your support is X. And then, you know, they fail to tell me about the $200,000 bonus they get every year. <laughs> you know, which changes. Oh, well, let me get it. It's not every year. You can't rely <laughs> it's on it. It's discretionary. It's discretionary. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, if I had a nickel for every time I heard that. <laughs> it's the truth. I know. Yeah. And, and you yeah. know, I think that's so important though, because it is based on, on what we are told. But I also think part of that is the responsibility of the attorney to ask a lot of questions and allow the client to speak. Yes. Um, many, you know, I, I always like to, you know, advise when we're, you know, anytime I kind of give any information on what you should expect, you should expect to be talking a lot. You know, I think for a client to go into the attorney's office, if the attorney's doing all the talking, then they're maybe not listening. Obviously they're not, they're only listening to themselves, right? Because the client, the client is not talking. And so, I, yes, <laughs> I could not agree with that more. Yes. And I think, um, you know, I feel like I can say this because I am an attorney, you are an attorney, so I can kind of like bag on them a little bit, but you know, they, we love to hear ourselves talk <laughs> and, you know, we think we're pretty smart. And so I think sometimes the tendency in a consultation is for an attorney just to talk the whole time. And that's really not effective for the clients. Um, I agree. Like the attorney should be asking a ton of questions because the clients don't know what they should and shouldn't, you know, what they should be telling you. Sometimes they don't know that, oh, you mean it matters that, you know, the down payment to our house was from an inheritance? Like I didn't know that made a difference, which in California, it absolutely does. So, but yeah, it's the attorney's responsibility to be um, pulling the information out of the client because the client doesn't know. So yeah, I agree. Questions. Your attorney should be asking a ton of questions. And they, you know, and really, obviously, like you said, there's only so much advice, but we can make a plan, right? Because right. many times we haven't seen all of the financial documents. So it's like, hey, we can't give you, these are predicated on what you told us. But, you know, I think so often, what we have an opportunity to do in family law, from my perspective, is we can achieve amazing results, right? Because, yeah. you know, yes, yes, we have the law, but man, there's so many facts that as we apply them, and if you're able to really draw out all the facts, many times you can get some pretty great results just because you were willing to find the information and ask the right question. Yes. Which, yeah is, you know, is a wonderful thing for our clients when you're willing to go that extra mile and because you do know, hey, this one fact on its own may not make a difference in, you know, the, the custody or the relocation if you're moving. But boy, once we have all 10 of these various facts, we at least can make a compelling argument that could be persuasive, you know, for your side. Yeah. So I think that for any uh, woman, you know, going to be an attorney, they better ask a lot of questions and don't be afraid to share. And, you know, if they tell you, I don't need to know that, that's probably a red flag because you never know. I, we always tell our clients, send us every information, tell us things because as the case pans out, we may or may not need that. Right. 
Yes. And yeah. So I, one thing I would add is like, in addition to, to asking a lot of questions is actually listening to the client (laughs) because similarly to you, you know, in family law, there is a tendency for clients to call you all the time. And sometimes it's just venting, right? It's not like a pressing legal question, but you know, if you listen to the client, um, sometimes you're just picking up little, little pieces of data all along the way that you can either use to to your client's benefit in trial, in settlement, or really helping them to be able to crystallize their goals, things like that. So yeah, listening, I think, is also really important. Yes, it is. All right, Holly, well, we're about to wrap up. But before we do, I really would love to know, um, you know this obviously podcast titled Women Winning Divorce. And if you could share with our listeners, like what you've learned about divorce, and representing women like throughout your career? Oh my gosh. Well, I feel like my career has been like one big unofficial experiment in human behavior (laughs) or one, you know, study of human behavior. And, and I find it fascinating. Um, so I think, gosh, I've learned so much about people and about women. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that I, I've really learned is people do really crazy things when they are hurting. Um, even good people, they they can get a little crazy when they're hurting. Um, but the other thing I think I've really learned is um, as a lawyer, as a family law lawyer, like we can't just look at these cases as legal cases. It's so much more. It's complicated because we're dealing with the unraveling of an interpersonal relationship, which I think is the most complicated thing on this planet is like how we all interact with each other. And when you're talking about spouses or or two parents, you know, that had a child together, it's like super complex. And I think um, that the clients really need additional support in in addition to legal support, whether it's counseling, whether it's some sort of um, personal development work, something, because divorce is really, really difficult. And, um, you know, just the the fact that you're unraveling this this marriage or this relationship is really hard. But then if you add to it the process of it, the actual legal process, um, I don't know if it goes any smoother in Florida, but in California, it's just really frustrating. Um, and like I mentioned before, it's expensive and it takes forever. And so it's like, you've got the process, but you've also got the whole emotional thing about it. And it's a lot to take on. So I would, and I think particularly for women who maybe aren't always as good at like compartmentalizing and just kind of like, you know, stuffing it down and not dealing with it. I think getting additional support, um, other than just the legal support is a must so that they're able to kind of navigate it better, make good decisions when they're, you know, making decisions that are going to affect their future. Well, I appreciate that so much because I absolutely agree with you. And, you know, it's, it helps because that support is, is one crucial during the divorce, right? Mm. And also after, because they have a whole life to live after this, right? And this, you know, is not really going to define you for the rest of your life. You want to grow from it and move on. Absolutely. Yes. That is always the hope. But um, yeah, some people, they are defined by it, by the rest, you know, for the rest of their life. And to me, that's just tragic. So yes, indeed. So I so appreciate having you on our show today, Holly. Thank you so very much. Thank Um, you for having me. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, we will have to, again, find a really, we'll have to find a great topic that Florida is very different from California on mm -hmm. and then do that maybe in the future. Okay. So, um, we'll have to put our heads together and think of that because I think that, that to me is always very interesting. Like, so different. Yeah. I, as a side note, I was speaking with an attorney and uh, that was the show that aired prior to yours, North Carolina. Oh, girl, it is different. It is oh, different. really? So different. Yeah. Ooh. It's like deep south, like as far as this is my perception, but well, it is true. It is a deep south, but you have to physically live in two different places for a full year. Physically live. You can't be like, no, we've changed. We're outside the bedrooms. Like I live on this side. He lives on this side. We are separate. No, no, no. Wow. Absolutely separate physical residence for a year before you can file. What? Yeah. Oh my gosh. We have so many people that like stay living together for a long time. It's just, they have to economically or divorces yes. take, you know, a yeah. year at least sometimes. Yeah. So, at um, least, yeah. Wow. That's that is shocking. So we'll have yeah. to, we'll have to compare notes, figure out something and put that in the future. But Yes. Until then, thank you so much for being our guest this week, Holly Moore. And for you listeners, if you are curious about Holly and what's going on out there at California in her law firm, you can find her at morefamilylawgroup.com. Thank you, Heather. This has been fun. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Women Winning Divorce. If you or someone you know is looking for answers regarding divorce, reach out to us at floridawomenslawgroup.com. And also join the conversation on social at Women Winning Divorce. Women Winning Divorce is the place for an elevated conversation on how women can thrive during times of adversity in order to live their best life.